Appreciate that. Look in Exodus 19, if you will. This evening, I continue in the series we've been on entitled A Slave Nation. We have been learning the things which were written aforetime, were written for our learning. We might have comfort and hope of the scriptures. And uh, we've been learning about some things from children of Israel coming up out of slavery and what that's translated to in the, uh, in the lives of our living and what God wants for us. I'll speak to you this evening on the subject of a slave nation learning to live free. Learning to live free. Booker T. Washington was an interesting man and uh, his book, Up From Slavery, is a tremendous, tremendous book. He passed away in 1915. He had been born into slavery and knew what it was to be a slave. But then he was freed in the Civil War and the things which surrounded it. And uh, he became, he first enrolled in a place called the Tuskegee Normal School. And then he became, before it was over, the one who ran that school. And it was a tremendous place of education. He was a tremendous educator. Spoke internationally. He traveled and spoke and taught much in the United States and was used greatly and a tremendous fellow. He passed away the same age I am now, 59 years of age, so his life was not an extremely lengthy one, but he uh, was used greatly during that time. I read to you an excerpt of his book, Up From Slavery, his autobiography, as he remembered and recounted what it was like on the plantation where he was a slave and where his mother was a slave and where his family had been, such as he knew, um, when the Emancipation Proclamation was read and when this was starting to happen. And he had some thoughts about the effect of freedom on the slave people. And uh, you'll see it's a fitting lead into the truth Tonight I want to show you. He said the most distinct thing that I now recall, and he's quite young when this happened, in connection with the scene was that some man who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and then read a rather long paper. The Emancipation Proclamation, I think. After the reading, we were told that we were all free. We could go when and where we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children while tears of joy ran down her cheeks. She explained to us what it all meant, that this was the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing that she would never live to see. For some minutes there was great rejoicing and thanksgiving and wild scenes of ecstasy, but there was no feeling of bitterness. In fact, there was pity among the slaves for our former owners, The wild rejoicing on the part of the emancipated colored people lasted but for a brief period. For I noticed that by the time they returned to their cabins, there was a change in their feelings. The great responsibility of being free, of having charge of themselves, of having to think and plan for themselves and their children seemed to take possession of them. It was very much like suddenly turning a youth of 10 or 12 years out into the world to provide for himself. In a few hours, the great questions with which the Anglo-Saxon race 
had been grappling for centuries had been thrown upon these people to be solved. These were the questions of a home, a living, the rearing of children, education, citizenship, and the establishment and support of churches. Was it any wonder that within a few hours the wild rejoicing ceased and a feeling of deep gloom seemed to pervade the slave quarters? To some, it seemed that now that they were in actual possession of it, freedom was a more serious thing than they had expected to find it. And while our freedom in the Lord does not bring gloom with it, it does, I hope, bring a sobriety and a seriousness what that freedom means. We must actually learn to live with the freedom that Jesus Christ gives us in our salvation. And it is a learned thing. Fully grasp the concept of what our freedom is, I want you to consider a couple of things. First of all, there must be some kind of governance in our life because of our fallen condition. Even as God clothed man and woman upon their falling and upon sin entering into the world, and as He gave them a complete covering, not the partial and modest and ineffective covering of the fig leaves, but He gave them a complete covering of coats upon that fall. And this was a change. Now man needed this. This He was no longer in the innocence of the garden. He was no longer in that state. And in the fallen condition in which sin is brought in, He now needs governance. God has established different areas of governance in our lives. Even to His churches, uh, there's a structure to them. There's a way in which they're supposed to be operated. The reason is because our fallen condition requires for there to be some type of governance. Second thing I want you to consider is free is not lawless. And lawless certainly is not free. There could be no greater bondage than anarchy. Because in the rawest form of anarchy, which is no rule, no governance, in the rawest form of anarchy, you would have what the deluded <coughs> notions of Darwinianism put forth, survival of the fittest. And everyone would be prey to their neighbor, Strangers, anyone who, compelled by avarice and greed, wanted to take away something you owned or damage you or destroy what you had built, you would have no protection except what you could provide yourself. And those lawless gangs and groups that could best organize for the purpose of of destroying those who by honesty and integrity and labor had gained something, they would soon run rule over everyone else. Anarchy is the ultimate form of bondage. Because no one has freedom. Let me give you some things from the Scripture on this. Look at our Scripture in Exodus 19. Free is not lawless. And lawlessness is not free. This is a very important message in a day when grace is being mistaught. I called and 
used a term this morning I've not used before. It's probably been used because I don't think there's really much original going on. I've not heard it to my knowledge. But in my class this morning, I spoke of the hollow grace. Grace is not attached to repentance. It's not attached to a realization of our, our standing before God. I just want to say grace. Grace, what's that mean? What a great song you all sang tonight. But we have to have grace to operate in, a, in a conditions where we need God's strength. And knowing the saving grace of God means nothing if we don't understand what had been our broken and lost condition. Exodus 19, look at verse 4. Notice this, what he said there. He says, you've seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Look at the phrase, and brought you unto myself. A couple things I want you to think about this thing of learning to live free is when God delivered His people, He did it to bring them unto Himself. He said, He was taking them to the promised land. He was. You're correct. But the main thing He was doing was to bring them to Himself. He he said, I want to have a personal relationship with you and I need to bring you out of Egypt and out from underneath Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt so that we can have the relationship that I want us to have. God always brings you unto Himself. I will guarantee you what God desires to do with your life is to bring you unto Himself. Bring you to a greater knowledge of who He is. Bring bring you to a better understanding of of what living for Him looks like in your life and what what uh, what the design of that is. He's always bringing you to Himself. Second thing is, I want you to look, if you will, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the book of Exodus, go to your right, two books. I'll go over two books. The third book over, Deuteronomy 6. So this thing of a uh, learning to live free, you have to understand God brought them out to bring them to Himself. Exodus, or Deuteronomy rather, chapter 6. Look in verse 23. Here's a testimony about God's deliverance. It says, And He brought us out from thence, from Egypt, that He might bring us in to give us the land which He sware unto our fathers. So He brought them to Himself and He brought them to the place of promise. God brought them out to bring them in. God never just brings you out to leave you. God never brings you out with no purpose in mind. He always has a purpose in what He's doing. And He brought them out to bring them in. So He brought them to Himself. There's a personal relationship. And then He brought them out to bring them to a possession. The land of promise. Why is it called that? Or the promised land. It's called both. Why is it? Because that land had been promised to Abraham over 400 years before that. And God said, your descendants will own this land. And by the way, they own that land. It's being contested. They own it. Israel owns it. That is their land. And so He said, I'm going to give you this possession. So God gives us His person and God gives us a place. He gives us a place to dwell, to operate, and, and to live. So, learning to live free, we have to understand why we've been brought out. We're brought out to be brought to God. We've been brought out to dwell where He intends us to. Here's some things God gave them. He gave them a leader. His name is Moses. This is ever God's design. 
they had to have someone to follow and God needed someone to be His messenger. That is how God has always operated among men. He's not changing that. There's an anarchist mindset that says, I don't follow anybody. That's a foolish mindset. Now, if you want to add to it as a Bible-believing Christian and someone who has good sense and responsibility in your life, I do not follow blindly. Well, that's a good, there's a good statement. You check. And of course, we know in the New Testament, believers were commended that checked what was being taught against the Scripture to make sure it was so. That's what you always do. That's why God gave you. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't give your brain and your skull just to hold your skull up. <laughs> he wants you to use it to think and to reason and to check and to see things. But God's always given a leader. There are some folks who can't hardly accept that unless they get to be the leader. There was a funny statement Dr. Ozzie used to make. Of course, many, many, many years ago, uh, he had gotten kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention because he would not go along with some liberalism coming in, the teaching of Darwinian evolution in their, in their uh, Bible colleges and uh, other compromises that had come along. And so he would no longer send support to the Southern Baptist Convention, even though there were many churches in that group that were Bible-believing, conservative churches who were preaching the gospel and trying to reach people and were teaching people the Word of God, but he could no longer support the cooperative program. He could, couldn't be a part of it anymore because it had become a denominational hierarchy. It, it, it wasn't called a denomination, but it was. And God's design in the Bible of churches is not a denominational design. It is independent congregations who, who have a fellowship because of a common belief. That's, 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 we're, we're, we're learning the book of Acts in our Sunday school and adult Bible classes, and we're learning of these things. And so he, it costs him dearly to come out of it. I mean, it costs Big time. He was, he was scheduled the year that they told him he wasn't allowed to be in the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. As a 29-year-old young man, he was going to be preaching to the Sunday School Convention for the Southern Baptist Convention to 10,000 people at one time that year because he had the fastest growing church in the Southern Baptist Convention. They kicked him out. All his meetings closed. Everything did with that. Well, God took care of things with that. But I fast forward then many decades and I remember sitting in pastor school several times as different men got together and said, let's start a movement and let's ask Brother Howells to head this up. We won't be a denomination, but we'll all get together and then he can kind of tell us and they would do this and he'd say no and no and no. And finally, he started saying something and I thought it was very appropriate. I remember in, in pastor school, especially in the sessions that had pastors in it, only he said, fellas, he says, you don't want to leave Egypt you just want to be Pharaoh. Now the truth of it is that God's always given a leader. But that leader is not Pharaoh. That leader is someone who has taken God's people to God. And has always helped them have a relationship with God. Their own relationship with God. That's called leading, not dictating. God gave him a leader like that. Then he gave him a law. To me, this was fascinating as I thought about it. This allowed for equity and justice. In other words, it wouldn't matter in a perfect situation of law. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, what influence you have or don't have. You are to be dealt with the same. That's the way law is supposed to be. That's the way law in our country is supposed to be. Sadly, we're in a state where it's fallen far short of that. 
But not only is it to give equity and justice, but the law was given so that God's purpose would outlive the person of Moses. I noticed something as I was teaching class this morning that I hadn't noticed in all the preparation for it. And that was when the... uh, uh, when the Jews were bringing accusation against Jesus and they were, uh, or, or they were coming rather against Stephen and against the apostles and such, they were, they were coming and, and uh, they said, these men want to destroy the traditions of Moses and the law of God. And what they said, they were giving false, uh, false uh, uh, witness against him at that point, but they mentioned Moses first. They were more concerned that they might do something against Moses than they were that they'd do something against God. So the law was given so that God's purpose would outlive the person of Moses. Moses was not the originator of the law. God was. And it's important to understand the origin where it comes from. Then He gave them a land. It's a blessed possession which they should have been able to enjoy and honor God with to the fullest. I put down this statement with it. True freedom within God's given boundaries. There are always boundaries to true freedom. If you have no boundaries, you're not free. You're lost. You have no direction. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is a chapter which teaches us how to live free. I'm going to go through it without a lot of comment. At least what I would call a lot. And uh, I want you to see this. This is for believers. This is for people who Christ is their Savior. How do we balance it out? I have questions asked me quite often. In the Christian life, understanding the freedom we have in Christ. And then people who are Bible-believing people and seeking to learn the Bible have a good sense that that doesn't mean that there's no commandments. That doesn't mean that there's no boundaries. But at the same time, we know biblically that we're not under the, all the, the Old Testament law and, and the ceremonial parts and certainly not the sacrifice, sacrificial parts. And, and so we said, where's the balance? What is it? What's it mean to be free in Christ? Is it just anything goes, whatever, and since Jesus has forgiven your sins, just live however you want to? We know on the surface that would be erroneous because grace grace extended to us should produce gratefulness in us. We We should respond to God's amazing grace by love and loving the One who did so much for us. Well, Romans 6 talks about it. Let's look at it. It asks a question and begins with this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In the previous chapter, we've been talking about how where grace was or sin, that grace did much more abound. In other words, God's grace is able to cover your sin and mine. Thank God for it. But he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, that's a foolish thought. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin 
live any longer therein. Know you not that is that so many of you, us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? There was a reason why He died. It, 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 something happened there. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, He didn't stay dead. That's not news to us in here, is it? That's news to some people within walking distance of our church. Did you know that? That's news to some people you'll meet at the grocery store this week. That's news to some people who live in your area. They don't know that. You say, everybody knows that. No, they don't. Will you take it from somebody who didn't? Up until my 15th year? They don't know that. See, some of you have been raised around church and that's a wonderful thing and you've heard about Christ since you were early. And some of you, it's, it's kind of a, oh, okay, I know that. No, no, no. There's a lot of people who don't know it. And so it says here, it says, we're buried with Him by baptism and death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So here, look what it's talked about. Are we going to continue in sin? So grace came down? God forbid we're dead to sin, so we don't continue in it. Jesus is raised because He's raised. We're to be raised. And what's our, what's our life to be like? We're to walk in newness of life. We're, we're, to, we're to have a different way of doing things than what we had before. We're not the same anymore. And God wants us to be different than what we had been in our lost condition. Look what it says in verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, that's us before we were saved, and by the way, that's still the flesh is still a part of that. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That from henceforth, from right now going forward, we should not, what's the next word there in verse 6? We should not serve sin. Okay? The last message I preached to you in this series, we dealt with the fact that when, when there was resistance to the deliverer, is what the title was, and, or resistance to deliverance actually was the title. When, when Moses first came and came to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. You remember Pharaoh's reaction? Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord, neither will I serve Him. And what did He do? He made life more miserable for the, for the Israelites than it had been. He says, you know what your problem is? you got too much time on your hands. And they were making bricks and this hard work. And He said, you get to make bricks without straw. And so when the heads of Israel went in and met with Pharaoh and said, What's going on? We're being beaten because we're not meeting our tally of bricks and your people aren't giving us what we need. And Pharaoh in his mocking, disdainful, scornful way said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And he sends them out with that. And they, they meet Moses along the way. You remember that? They're very upset at Moses. And they said, You have made our savor to stink in the nostrils of, 
uh, of Pharaoh. You, you know what that is? Only you find that term our savor, not savior, savor, the smell. That's a worship term throughout the Bible. Almost always attached to the sacrifices given to God or incense sent up to God. And they said, basically, Pharaoh has become our God. When they were talking to Pharaoh, here's what they said three times in two verses. They said, We thy servants, Pharaoh's servants, we thy servants. Why are you treating we thy servants? They were a people who had come to identify themselves as servants and slaves to Pharaoh. You're not free when you're like that. And that's what this is talking about. Look at the verse again. It says, uh, at the end of verse 6, it says that henceforth, we should not serve sin. Nonsense saying, well, I can't help it. (laughs) You may, because of experience, accurately say you have not helped it up to this point. But you cannot biblically accurately say, I can't help it if you're talking about the issue of sin. You may accurately say, I need help. You may accurately say, I've got to do something different. I haven't figured this out because I keep blowing it. But you may not biblically accurately say, I cannot when it comes to sin. I cannot help but sin. You cannot say that biblically accurately. You may have to change something. You may have to get help. You may have to get somebody in your corner to be accountable to and be a help to you. But according to the Word of God and on the authority of the Word of God, we no longer have to serve sin. Don't have to. I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave. It was interesting. Further reading, I've been rereading this book by Booker T. Washington. It's been a good number of years since I read it last and it's refreshing. You, you read something 10, 12, 15 years later, read it again, you're at a different point of understanding in your life. It's like, a, it's like a new book, or maybe you just get forgetful and don't know what you read. I'm not sure. I'd like to think it's the first, <laughs> but can't be sure. But what happened is, as I'm reading this, I'm looking at it, and I realize they said many of the folks, when they would leave the plantation they'd been on, they would leave wherever they'd been, but then they would go back. Because they didn't know how to be free. God doesn't want you to go back to slavery at all. Set up, girl. There you go. We're in church. Set up. Don't, don't, let, don't slide down and be asleep on me. Right? The, uh, you've come here twice. You're now one of our kiddos. That, that works. The uh, Romans 6, look at what it says. It says, Henceforth, we should not serve sin. God doesn't want you being a servant to sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Well, that makes sense. I guarantee you, you're not going to commit sin once you're dead. It's if we're dead in Christ, then we're freed from sin. We're not obligated to it. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So, Christ died, but He didn't stay dead. And so, you know, if I got up, my message tonight was, hey, here's good news, Christ is dead and we died with him. Isn't that great? When you come to church tonight, just have somebody tell you, hey, look, you're dead. Um, no, that's not the message. The message is he died and he rose. And because of that, we have victory. Because he overcame it. He's gone there already and, and uh, has already defeated death for us. But look what it says in verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. How many times did Jesus die? 
How many times will Jesus die? Once. Not another time. In fact, the fact that we are eternally secure in, the, in Christ is based on the fact that Jesus cannot die. I am as secure as the life of Christ is. And so he says here, look at this great statement. It makes a statement. It says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. The entire message I'm putting together, I hope to bring to you shortly, about dominion. And this thing of dominion is a rightful authority. Oh, would to God that not through an exalted view of self, but would to God that through a biblical confidence, you would, you would break off in your mind the shackles of being a victim. Say, preacher, you don't know my situation. I have been the victim. Someone hurt me deeply. Someone abused me severely. Someone did something in my life that legitimately I was victimized by. I understand that. I've been pastoring a long time. I've seen a lot of hurt. You may have been victimized, my friend. I'm not scolding you. I'm not cajoling you. I'm bringing a message to you. You need to hear a message of biblical hope. You may have been victimized, but that does not consign you to being a victim. Where you have reached conclusions in your mind that you have no worth, that you can't do something, that you cannot go forward because of what has happened in your past. Simply not true. Can I tell you a little fun story about Brother Darren? Some of y'all really don't know Brother Darren. Many of you know him well. We're in Bible college together. He actually started a semester before I did, and I finished my graduate degree before he had finished. And uh, so he took a lot of classes. I did, but I was going through. There was paperwork, and Brother Darren were not friends at all back then. I mean, it was just incredible how much they were not friends. And. Uh, at that time, our college uh, was, was uh, pretty, pretty strict about the way things went. It was, it was mainly a pastor's training college. And, and so they said, you're going to lead churches and not really have you know, a boss watching over you. You need to learn some self-discipline. So it was run tough. And uh, you could get in a lot of trouble in a hurry there. And uh, we were going through school. And uh, we came down. And I think it was I was finishing my graduate degree. And... He was making progress, and I said to him one time, we had a conversation, and I said, you know, I said, you need to get angry at anything that gets between you and finishing college. I mean, you need to develop an attitude about this. I mean, you need to get surly and snarly about it. And if something's trying to derail you from finishing what God sent you here, don't go into this permanent loop. We used to call them permanent students. You know, 12 years, you saw them at Bible College too. 12 years later, they're still in their sophomore year. That's a problem. Say, well, they're being thorough. That's not thorough. <laughs> Betcher isn't diligent. And I said, get angry at whatever gets between you. I said, what did God send you here to do? Well, He sent me to get an education. Did He send you to stay here? <coughs> no. Get at it. Get angry. Get an attitude. And uh, (laughs) 
I, I was talking to him about that shortly before I was going to graduate, and I wouldn't have to be his manager at work anymore. I mean, getting wound up, it could have been detrimental. Yeah. But he did that, and he uh, not I'm saying just not just from that conversation, he had it within himself to do that. But he got very focused about it, and he started looking at things that might keep him from why he was there and what he was trying to do, which was finish that degree. And he believed that for him, now I can't speak for anybody else, but for him, that he was not going to be doing what God wanted him to do unless he finished. He said, this is what God sent me to do. I don't care what anybody else in the school does. Don't care. You know, somebody comes and they say after a year, hey, this wasn't for me. He said, this is what I'm supposed to do, so let's get it done. And stay at it. God say to you, that's my desire for you in your Christian life. Don't you let somebody tell you you can't serve God? Don't you let somebody tell you that you can't go forward for God? You can if you will. You can if you'll love Him and serve Him. You can if you'll be honest and get things right that need to get right. You can if you'll quit making excuses about your wrongdoing and your sin and, if, and confess it to God and get clean about it. You can go forward. It doesn't have dominion over him. Not at all. Thank God. <laughs> I remember an old boy at the fair the one year we were going in. He was upset. I was outside. I was not even on the fairgrounds at that point. And he came out and started to raise a ruckus with me about me passing out gospel tracts. I wasn't on the fairgrounds. A few years later, I had to run in. I was on the fairgrounds, but anyway. Um, but I was outside. I was not impeding the flow of anything. And this fellow was a fair official. I wasn't even a city policeman. And he came out on his, his golf cart, you know. <laughs> Which was tilting a lot to one side. And he came up to me. And... He's like, you can't do that. I said, what are you, talking about? you can't do that. I said, well, apparently I can. And he's like, you, you can't do it. I said, look. I said, sir, I wouldn't be mean to him. I said, I'm not even on the fairground. And I, I never forget his statement to me. He said, I'm the law here. <laughs> I thought, my goodness. No, you're not the law. You're a dweeb. What is your problem? <laughs> City policeman has jurisdiction. If he'd come up and said, you can't stand here and do this for whatever reason, I'd say, thank you, sir. And I'd went where he couldn't see me and come pass down a gospel track. But it's, look, he had no dominion. He had no dominion. If I'm going down Route 22 and I notice that I didn't set my cruise control, which is the greatest money-saving device on my car, because I can be going very quick in that car and not realize it, so I set that cruise, and that's good. That thing's, that's wonderful. But if I was going, forgot to do it, and I'm cruising down the road, and all of a sudden, there's a silver car behind me with pretty lights on top, and he wants to talk to me and comes up to my car very nicely and wants to talk to me about my plans for the rest of the day and why they're so urgent. My reaction to him is going to be a lot different than my reaction was to I'm the law here. Why? Because he has dominion. He has a rightful authority. Look again. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. 
For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourself. It is an accounting term. You're taking account of it. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know what your history's been. I don't know what you've been through, but you can live for Christ. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you can live for Jesus Christ. You say, well, this world's messed up. It's always been messed up. We can live for God. You say, I have pressures on me. God's people have always had pressures on them. We can live for God. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You understand, to whatever extent we serve sin, we become slaves again. You can't live free and live after the flesh. You can't live free and live a lustful life. Not going to do it. Neither yield ye your members, that's parts of your body, as members of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And there's much teaching that gets very perilously close to that today. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? Isn't that amazing? They didn't take you captive. One more time with this. Children of Israel come out of Egypt. What's the first major obstacle they confront? Red Sea, right? They go through the Red Sea. Who tries to follow them through the Red Sea? Pharaoh and his armies. What ends up happening to the Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea? The Pharaoh no longer, after they were brought out by this miraculous intervention of God, Pharaoh no longer had the capacity to go take them captive again. He didn't have an expeditionary force. It was gone. He could not come get them. But you know what they kept doing according to the Scripture? They turned back once again in their heart. Where? In Egypt. So much so that when they come to Mount Sinai where God wants to meet with them, while Moses is up on the mountain, what do they make for themselves? Golden calf. Golden calf. They put themselves right back under that dominion. This time you deny you're free. Learn to live like free people. We sing that song, Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Well, let's believe it and live it. Let's not believe this hollow grace stuff. Oh, you're free. That means you can just live whatever sensual, wild, undisciplined life you want. That's not freedom. That's a different form of bondage. <laughs> Amazing. Mm-mm-mm. I don't think I'm to very much comment yet, am I? I'm trying not to. I said I wouldn't comment very much. <laughs> But it's good. You can't really count quoting other scriptures as a comment. All right. Look what it says here. Verse 18, or 17 rather. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart 
that form of doctrine which is delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Oh, I thought freedom was I just did whatever I wanted. No, freedom is then we serve God. Freedom is not lawlessness. And lawlessness, lawlessness is not freedom. So instead of following and becoming servants to the flesh and to sin and to lust, we become a servant to Christ. Well, that makes sense. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things wherever you are now ashamed? In other words, what was the end game of that? What was the end result of all that? Hmm. For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And you can see doctrine to lead up to a very well-known verse among us. For the wages of sin is what, church? But, contrasting to wages, which is what you've earned, the lot of God, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lawlessness is not freedom. And freedom is not without law. But we have to learn how to be free. I heard a tragic statement made on this. This was back when I was still in the First Church of God. It was one of the Powers brothers. I'm not sure if it was Ralph or Bobby. These were men. They were solid. They were farmers. They were solid men in the church. They have been one of those brothers that prayed with me when I, on July 26, 1980, came forward in a service. You don't have to do it that way, but that's what I did. and accepted Christ as my Savior. God had been convicted in my heart. I'd had the scripture explained to me. My cousin Barry had given the gospel to me. God was dealing with me. So here I am, a high school student, a varsity wrestler, and involved in a lot of things, and yet I needed the Lord. But I remember one of the Powers brothers, we were walking out after church, and, he, and Brother Jeff, you all, Matt, my, my pastor, we were walking across the parking lot, and I think it was Bobby. He said, and he says, some of these folks, you know, believe this once saved, always saved stuff. Now, I'm a young guy, I don't know doctrine or anything, I'm just listening. And he said, man, if you preach that, how would you get your people to ever live right? Now, how many of you understand, I'm not saying you agree with it, but you understand that thinking from what you've been around in your background. In other words, that thing you can lose your salvation is a stick to beat you with and keep you in line. I was so new in the Scripture. I had all the discernment of a fence post. But I still, well, I mean, obviously I was 16 by that time and I'm 59 and I remember it quite distinctly. I remember thinking, uh, something's not right about that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled over. It's a man I had respect for. Still have respect for. I, he was a man I looked up to, but I thought something was just not right about that. That the preaching of living a right, clean, godly life would be somehow, you know, tool to bludge people into obeying. No. And then over the years, as I grew and understood the Bible, I come to understand that God in His graciousness has given us commandments. He has given us things so that we, do, we will not be captive to our own flesh. He's given us a way to live free and not be entangled again with what would destroy us. So that we can be truly free. That we can have actual, real freedom within the boundary of God's blessings and commandments. Because that's where freedom is. Thank God for it. But we've got to learn to live it. You've got to learn to live it. I've got to learn to live it. In other words, don't be afraid of being free in Christ. And realize that we should take the freedom and use it to honor God, not to indulge ourselves with it. Let me pray with you. You've been patient. Father, thank You for Your people tonight. Thank You so much, Lord, for allowing us to gather together. And I pray, Lord, You help us tonight to be willing to love You and follow You like we ought to. I want to. Lord, I pray for our folks here, but Lord, I want to. Um, just really need Your guidance day by day. And thank You for it. Thank you for what you've written in your book. We can know it and we can live it. Thank you for the power you give through the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. Lord, I pray you bless your people tonight. May they have a desire to live free, to do it right. Help us, Lord, to be pleasing to you in the way we go about following you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.